Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. I don't know. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I have the humbling honor of being one of Soul City's founding lead pastors. Uh, And to those of you that are here at our local church and those of you joining us from our global church, welcome. It is so, so good to be together. And the last two weeks, we have been in a series called Anything and everything. And we've been walking through the New Testament book of Colossians as we look to Jesus who can transform anything and everything in our lives if we are open to it. And today we're going to continue on in the book of Colossians. We're looking at chapter three, and I don't want to waste a minute. So I want to ask you, are you ready? All right, that is good. Listen, it has been a minute since I have preached, so I'm going to need you to work with me today, okay? So I am glad to know that you are ready. I want you to grab a Bible. If you are here in this room, there is a Bible underneath the seat back in front of you. We are on page 955, which is the book of Colossians chapter 3. And if you are joining us online, feel free. You can open up the Bible app and you can follow along with us. Now, before we jump in, I want to give you a little bit of context, okay? Over the, over the past two weeks, we have learned a few things about the church in Colossians, uh, and we've learned a few things about the cultural moment of the day. Now, now, Paul's letter that we're looking at today, it was written sometime around 60 to 63 AD. And the church in Colossae, it was a young church. It was made up mostly of, of Gentile converts to Christianity. So, so they didn't grow up around the Jewish practices or principles, okay? They didn't grow up around all the things you're supposed to do and, you know, like the practices, the principles, like the, the things that kind of like are in the water, right? So, so when, when they went to church, they they wouldn't have known like, oh, I, I guess this is where I should raise my hand during the song, right? right? And, and they wouldn't have known like all of you know the moments in a message when you should say amen, hallelujah, right? They, they wouldn't have known that like all of you know that in the way that you're going to do that today, right? Thank you. Thank you. This was all new to them. This was all new. To them. And Paul, actually, the author of this letter, he had actually never been to Colossae, but he had received lots of letters and reports that this young church, that they were actually really struggling. They were struggling with the culture informing their view of Christ instead of Christ informing their view of culture. You get the difference there, right? And as we learned last week, this culture, it was built on the shoulders of distraction. There were lots of things coming and going that were distracting these young converts, these young believers. And Paul was concerned because they were treating their relationship with Jesus like like it was some kind of accessory to their lives instead of it being the very center of their lives. And I think in so many ways, as I've been studying this book, in so many ways, Paul could have written this letter today. We live in a culture of distraction, right? We live in a culture that often tries to inform us on our relationship with Christ instead of allowing Christ to inform us on 
the culture. We face similar tensions in our world. But what we haven't looked at as we've been walking through uh, these last couple weeks, we haven't looked at where Paul was when he wrote this letter. And and it's actually quite important because it informs a lot of what, what Paul is passionate about in this letter. Paul wrote this letter from prison. He had actually been arrested and tortured and imprisoned for his overt preaching of the gospel. And in Paul's life, life was kind of pressing in on Paul during this moment. His circumstances, they did not look up and to the right. All of the comforts and the conveniences of Paul's life had now been stripped from him. And life was hard as Paul wrote this letter. But somehow... In the midst of life being hard, Paul didn't lose heart. Instead of his circumstances crushing him, it only brought more courage and clarity to him. And so today, as we, as we dive into this, the reason I mention where Paul wrote this letter from is because it's important to consider, while most of us have not physically lived in a prison cell, I imagine many of us, we, we know what it feels like to maybe live in one mentally in our minds, or we know what it feels like to live in one emotionally. Perhaps this this last year of the pandemic, it felt like you were in a relational prison cell, like you were being sentenced to, to 15 months of solitary confinement, right? With Netflix. And I wonder, I wonder, when life gets challenging for you, When the circumstances of your life, when they take a turn that you never saw coming, when your once steady and excited heart for God, it grows weary and wobbly, I want to ask you today, how do you not lose heart when life gets hard? How how do you not lose your heart when life gets hard? Because life can get hard, can't it? It can get really hard. And so much of what Paul is speaking to in this section of Colossians is about living fully alive, having a heart that beats steady in the ways of Jesus throughout all of life, even the hard parts of life. Paul, he's so passionate about this that, that this section of the letter was actually entitled, Living as Those Made Alive in Christ that that's what we're looking at today. What does it mean to be fully alive in Christ? So so we're jumping in, Colossians 3, verse 1, and this is what it says. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, Paul gets right to the point. He doesn't have like a soft entrance. There is no warm-up act here. He's like, listen, you were once dead. You were once dead. Did you get that? You were once dead. And now you're alive. 
I mean, Paul is definitely trying to get their attention. He's reminding them that if you are a Christian, you have already had the most significant life transition you will ever have. You have moved from spiritual death to spiritual life. And Paul is trying to get them to see He's trying to get them to see that when we become a Jesus follower, it's not just this like mild modification to our lives. It's not just like a subtle reorganization of our priorities. This is more than just a like a great before after makeover story. And listen, I love a great makeover story. This is not just like cutting sugar out of your diet, friends. This is a full-blown metamorphosis full-blown transformation, your own personal resurrection. This is going from death to life, friends. And what Paul is trying to say to us is it changes everything. It changes everything. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were dead, And now you are alive. And because you are alive, you need to do the things that alive people do. Is what Paul is trying to say here. And and he says it starts in your mind and your heart. That you need to fix your mind and your heart on things above. That being alive in Christ, or as Paul puts it, being hidden with Christ in God. It doesn't mean that, that all day, every day, you just kind of think and feel heavenly thoughts and feelings. He's not saying that, that, that that's what it, it actually looks and feels like. Like when someone you know, says something terrible to you or, or about you that you just kind of automatically respond with, oh, bless you. Thank you. Just fixing my mind and heart on things above, right? It doesn't mean that that that's what happens or when maybe someone cuts you off in traffic, that you automatically respond with, oh, Lord, bless them. Bless the car that they're driving in, Lord. Bless the words that are pouring out of their mouth so quickly and and so sternly and and so abruptly. And Oh, Lord, bless their hands, even down to that finger that they are putting up right now in my direction. Paul says that it doesn't look like that. But here's what I want you to know, what he's trying to get at. You can feel anything, but you don't have to do everything you feel, okay? You can think anything, but you don't have to do everything you think. The passage says you have been raised to life in Jesus, and part of living like you are alive in Christ is recognizing that you have everything that you need to be anything God created you to be, but you don't have to do everything that you think and feel. This is so important. This is so critical that we understand because, listen, you are a thinking and a feeling human being. So am I. Your mind generates thoughts. Your heart generates feelings. But you are not those thoughts and feelings. Did you get that? For years, I I described myself as though I was my thoughts or feelings. 
And what I realized is that I, I was allowing myself to say things like, I am, and, and then I would fill in the blank. I would kind of give the definition of who I am, the full embodiment of who I am. I am happy, or I am sad, or, or I'm not sure what to do about that situation. And the problem is that I am so much more than just my thoughts and my feelings. You are so much more than just your thoughts and feelings. They do not define who you are. And some of the most transformational work, some of the most transformational spiritual work that I began to do a number of years ago was shift my thoughts and feelings. The way that I would do that to shift them on things above is I began to do two things. I began to notice my thoughts and feelings and name my thoughts and feelings. I began to notice and name. And this is critical to understanding ourselves and understanding how God is actually at work in our lives. So instead, I now try to say things like, I feel happiness versus I am happy. You get the difference? I'm identifying that I'm having a feeling of happiness. The whole essence of me is not happy. I feel sad versus I am sad. Or when it comes to my thoughts, I now say things like, I'm having the thought, I'm not sure what to do about this situation. It's such a slight shift, but I wanna let you know, the difference is transforming. It's transforming, because it allows you to actually take your thoughts and your feelings and set them on things above. It allows you to do exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. Because I am not my thoughts and feelings. I just notice them. I name them. I welcome them. I give them spiritual space to do what they need to do. But thoughts and feelings, friends, they're automatic. Anybody have a crazy thought sometime in their life? I know I have. Anyone have a crazy feeling in your life sometimes? Those thoughts and feelings, they are not the definition of who you are. Thoughts and feelings, they happen, they're automatic. But just because you think it and just because you feel it has nothing to do with whether it is true. Thoughts and feelings don't need answers. They just need spiritual space. They just need spiritual space. And Paul doesn't say thoughts and feelings are even evil or wrong or that you have to stop having them. He says what you have to do is you have to learn to set them on things above. Because what I have learned about thoughts and feelings is where your focus goes, your heart then flows. Where your focus goes, the direction of your thoughts, the direction of your feelings, your heart then flows. And this is lifelong work. This is lifelong work. This is, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is part of our ongoing transformation as we live as a disciple of Jesus. Even over the last couple of weeks, I have been giving myself the space to this very work, to this very practice. I experienced a shift in a relationship that has been a part of my life for a number of years. And this shift came and I was surprised by it. I was even confused. I felt sadness about it. And my temptation was to follow and believe all of my thoughts 
and feelings in an attempt to try to get rid of my confusion and my sadness. But what God has been inviting me to do is to instead notice my thoughts and my feelings, to name them with God, and then to do exactly what this passage says, to set them on things above. To set them on things above. And listen, I certainly don't do it perfectly all the time. But this is what it looks like to live as someone that has been made alive in Christ, noticing and naming our thoughts and feelings. It is significant spiritual work, and it's where we start when it comes to living fully alive, but it's not where we stop. It's not where we stop because Paul goes on and he gives this list of the types of things that can actually pull us away from being fully alive. Verse 5, this is what it says, so put to death, therefore, Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger and rage, malice and slander. Filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Can you imagine getting a letter like this? Can you imagine going to your mailbox, opening a letter like this, or, or opening up your email and being like, wow, little intensity, right? There's a lot here. There's a lot going on. But, but Paul is trying to get the Colossians' attention. He, he's saying things as extreme as put to death. The ways you used to live before you were given new life in Jesus, his exact words, you have taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. Paul is using the illustration and even the juxtaposition of an old self and a new self. And this kind of, of illustration is similar to, to other ones that have been used throughout scripture. This, this comparison of darkness to light, from, from being imprisoned to liberation, Fr from us being separated to oneness in Christ, from being in exile to coming home into a promised land, from being asleep to being awake. Paul said a similar thing in his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a new creation. The new creation has come because the old has gone and the new is here. Yeah. And the list of these, these old ways of living, I don't think that Paul is, is, is trying to, to pile on the guilt here. I don't think this is a, an attempt to bring condemnation or judgment because no one ever healed through punishment or shame, did they? Instead, this is a way that, that Paul is trying to say, you can't experience a new movement of God with an old mindset. 
Friends, you can't experience a new movement with an old mindset. You can't live a new life with old behaviors. New movements don't happen with old mindsets. And yet, that is what so many of us try to do. We want a new life, don't we? We want to sing the song, new life, new bread, new whatever, right? We, we want all the new. We want the new results. We want the new provision. But we hold on to our old ways. And this is not how it works in a relationship with Jesus. It just, it just doesn't work that way. You can't live new days while holding on to old ways. You can't. You can't, you can't live new days while holding on to old ways and your life has already been resurrected. Your life has already been resurrected. You have been made new and living that new life, it takes active participation. It takes commitment. It takes discipline to actually be a disciple of Jesus. And Paul would say it takes putting those old things to death. That you actually have to let them go. Because he goes on and he says, because this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to have a new life in Christ. He says, therefore, you are God's chosen people. You are holy. You are dearly loved. And so this is what you clothe yourselves with. You clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, with humility, gentleness, and patience. You bear with each other and you forgive one another. You forgive one another. You forgive one another. You forgive one another. So many of us, our old life just has everything to do with not forgiving one another. Not forgiving ourselves. Not forgiving God for wishing and hoping life would look different. You forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. The new life is all available to us because of forgiveness. And he says, and over all of these things, over all of these virtues, here's what you do. You put on love because love binds it together in perfect unity. It holds it together in perfect unity. It pulls everything together and in perfect unity, we are alive in Christ. Paul gets very specific to compare and contrast the old life to the new life. And he then goes on and he uses another illustration, right? Paul's pulling out all the illustrations. He's pulling out all the metaphors. And he says, listen, it's like clothing, right? You take off your old clothes and you put on your new clothes. He's basically saying that the old life is like old clothes and the new life is like new clothes. So in Jesus, we all get a new outfit, guys, and you get an outfit 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 and you get an outfit. You all get a new outfit today. Oprah just pulled on up, right? This is what it's like in Jesus. 
You have a whole new outfit every single day. Can you imagine going to your closet and there are new outfits every day for you? That's what it's like in Jesus. My husband would never let that happen. (laughs) We keep reaching for the old clothes. We keep reaching for the old clothes. But Paul says this is what it's like in a relationship with Jesus. It's new life every single day. But so many of us, we just keep keep putting on our old life. And the old life to the new life. Paul compares them. He says the old life, it was filled with with sexual immorality and purity and lust. But your new life, you experience compassion. Paul says the the old life, it it was filled with with evil desires. Desires that were just kind of more about you, what you wanted, how you wanted life to go. But in this new life, in this new life, what what ends up happening is is you get to experience kindness. Kindness fills your desires. In the old life, it's all about greed. It's all about you in the old life. But, but in the new life, it's all about humility. How can I put someone else in front of me? In the old life, it's about anger and rage and malice, and yet somehow in the new life, it's choosing gentleness. In the old life, it's, it's slander. And oftentimes, the, the things that you say about people when those people are not there. And yet Jesus says that in the new life, it's choosing patience instead. In the old life, it's, it's this unwholesome talk, but in the new life, you choose forgiveness. And in the old life, you just kind of lie to make your way through, but in the new life, you choose love. And friends, Paul is trying to get the Colossians to understand that when these things show up in your life, when these old life behaviors, when they show up in your life, you're not living as though you are alive in Christ. That these are indicators. These are indicators of a not fully alive heart. These are the presenting conditions that there's something going on inside. That you are not living fully alive. Now, I'm sure that I've got a few items here. I'm sure all of you know what this is. This this here is a thermometer, okay? Anyone use one of these this last year a few times? Yeah, these were sold out on Amazon a lot this last year, right? I had to take my kids temp before I logged them into school each morning when they had in-person school, right? And the temperature is taken to, to get a sense of what's going on inside of the body. Is there an infection? Is there something wrong? Do we need to pay attention to something? It's why we take our temperatures, right? Anybody know what, what this is here? Yeah, this is a blood pressure monitor. I I have had this done to me many times. I'm sure you have had this done to you many times. And they they put the cuff up your arm, right? And and then they start 
pressurizing that cuff, right? And you wonder, like, do I, do I flex my arm? What do I do with my arm? Like, right? Do I flex this? And I remember when, when I was younger, and the whole idea is to figure out, you know, how the blood is flowing through your body, right? And I remember when I first started having my blood pressure taken, and the nurse would then say something like, you know, this is what your numbers are. And I remember thinking, like, is that good? Like, is, is that a good number? Is that a bad number? Fractions? That was my highest, you know, part of, of math. Like, is, is that a good fraction, bad fraction, right? And, you know, and so we take the blood pressure because we want to know how is the blood flowing. It's an indicator of what's going on inside of the body. I'm guessing many of you know what this is, right? It's a pulse oximeter. And the pulse oximeter is a test used to measure the oxygen level or, or the oxygen saturation of the blood. It's this easy, painless measure of how well oxygen is actually being sent throughout the body in the further areas from your heart. When I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in 2019, we had these tested on us multiple times throughout the day as the air got thinner because they wanted to see how was oxygen actually flowing through our bodies as it became harder and harder to breathe the higher we went up. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, what's with all of the medical devices? Like, I, Am I going to be getting, given a physical today? No, you are not going to be given a physical today. And I also did not bring a scale along. Um, and if I had, I would definitely allow you to take your shoes off before you get on the scale because everybody knows that the shoes weigh at least five to 10 pounds, right? I mean, who does not take their shoes off before they are weighed, right? I do every single time. I do every single time. Listen, all of these medical devices, what they do, is they measure, is your body working the way it needs to be working? In many ways, they measure just how alive you really are. And I think what Paul is getting at in this passage is that too many Christians are living like dead men or dead women walking. That far too many Christians are literally living, they are literally walking the planet as though they are dead men or dead women walking, instead of being people that are alive in Christ. Listen, the most significant death you will face if you are a Christian, if you have said yes to Jesus, you've already faced it. And maybe for some of you, the reason you are skeptical to actually say yes to Jesus is because you see so many Christians living more like the old life. You see so many Christians that are dead men or dead women walking. You don't see the, the new life. You don't see the, the, the new hope. And sadly, so many of us were unwilling to walk ourselves all the way through our own personal grief process. We're afraid to accept our own spiritual death. We keep ourselves stuck in shock and denial and bargaining, all marks of old life living, and we have not accepted what is final stage of death, that we are already dead if we are in Jesus because he has made us alive. We have been resurrected. And I see so many Christians fighting to accept that their old life is gone, that the old life died with Christ, yet so many of us, we just continue to try to return to those old ways of living 
But friends, you are alive. <laughs> Do you get that? Yes. You are alive. You are alive. You are as alive as you could ever be. Another way that Paul says it in his letter to the Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. Yeah. And this changes everything. It changes everything. And if you are a Christian, you are alive. And yet I fear for so many of us, for so many of us, this is what your heartbeat sounds like. For some of us, that sound it's all too real. You've heard that sound as a loved one passed from this life to the next, and it is a very sobering, very sobering sound. Maybe even a triggering sound, and hear me, I don't play it for any triggering reasons. I play it because that's not what your heart should sound like. It's not what your heart should, should sound like. You're alive. You're alive. Your heart shouldn't sound like that. This, this is what your heart should actually sound like. healthy heartbeat sounds like. This is what our hearts should sound like, friends. People should, should hear this from us. They should know this from us. They should see this from us. They should be able to experience that we are the most alive people on the planet. That, that we have a healthy heart inside because of Jesus. And so I have a simple question for you today. Are you willing to live like you're actually alive? Uh, are you willing to live like you're actually alive? You see, the, the other device on this table that I, I didn't show you uh, is this one. Um, and I'm guessing you might not actually know what this is. It has a little blue heart in the middle of it. This is my personal heart monitor. Many of you know that six months ago, uh, I had heart surgery. And a heart defibrillator now lives on the inside of my body. It's this power-packed battery that's connected to my heart uh, that basically just makes me like a female Tony Stark. And this monitor, uh, as I was leaving the hospital, they gave me this monitor. Um, and it sits next to my bed. And every Monday morning, the blue light starts to flash. And I hit the button as a way to communicate to a team of doctors in Boston. And I sit for about five minutes and they measure every single thing that is going on in my heart to make sure that it's healthy, to make sure that it's flowing right, to make sure that the beats per minute are on par with, with what they should be. Essentially, they look to make sure, do I have a fully alive heart? 
And to make a long story short, uh, we've been living in um, some temporary housing, um, well, actually a couple of temporary homes as we've been finishing up a renovation. And this last house that we moved into, I forgot to set this up next to my bed. Um, I put it in the bottom of a box as we were moving from one place to another. And when we got there, I just totally forgot to set it up next to my bed. And I got a call. Uh, I didn't recognize the number. And so I picked it up. And the person on the other end of the phone said, is this Jeannie Stevens? And I said, it sure is. I'm Jeannie Stevens. And they said, well, we are so glad to know that your heart is beating. You see, they were worried because they had lost my heartbeat. And I assured them I was very much alive. But they were afraid because they couldn't find my physical heartbeat. But I fear in this life, it's much easier for us to lose our spiritual heartbeat. And we lose that spiritual heartbeat so often when life gets hard. And life does get hard, doesn't it? Life can get hard and it can get complicated and it can get painful. And as we started this message, I asked you the question, how do you not lose heart when life gets hard? You know, perhaps there is no greater moment of knowing you are fully alive than when life gets hard. You see, when circumstances threaten to bend or to break us, when we find ourselves in that wanting and that waiting, when every impulse is pulling us back to our old life, when we find ourselves desperate and depleted, what if that could actually be the greatest moment to fix our thoughts and to fix our hearts and to fix our eyes back to Jesus? What I know to be true is that anything can be used by God to help you become everything that God created you to be. And when you fix your eyes on Jesus, you can see Christ is all and is in all. In other words, the one who is alive in Christ comes to believe there is only Christ, that he is at work in anything and everything. And I sense today, as, as I was praying for all of us, I sense that there are some here today worshiping here in this space and worshiping with us online, and your heart is not fully alive. You have a faint heartbeat. And maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Or maybe at one point you did, but, but that heartbeat has, has grown weary. It's grown tired. And I just wonder if there are some that need to move from death to life today. If there are some that, ha that have been living that old life and you want to come home to new life in Jesus. So I simply want to invite you to, to pray with me this morning, to, to welcome new life in. So I just want to invite you to stand right now. And, um, you know, a different times we take postures of prayer around here and lots of times we open up our hands as a way of, of just kind of opening up our, our lives and our hearts to Jesus. But today I want to ask you if you would actually put your hand over your heart as we pray. And if there is anyone in this space or anyone worshiping with us online, 
You want to move from old life to new life. I want to invite you to just pray this prayer quietly along with me. Jesus, this is what we want our hearts to sound like. Oh, Jesus, we want our hearts to be for you. We want to live fully alive hearts. And Jesus, we confess that our thoughts and our feelings, often they are, they are fixed on so many other things in this world. We confess, though, that we can't do this on our, on our own. We can't do this alone. And so we just want to ask, Jesus, would you take our old life and would you make us new today? Would you help us move from death to life? And Jesus, we want to say yes to you. Yes to salvation. Yes to transformation. Yes to anything being used in our lives so that we can become everything that you created us to be. Jesus, use our thoughts. Use our feelings. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And would you move us from death? To life. We love you. And may we be a people whose hearts beat only and always for you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray.